Hello, my name is Rachel Randolph. I am part of the Greertown Community Group, and I have been very well cared for for this church for about six years. Um, I am going to do the scripture reading for today in 1 Samuel 25, and I'll just ask, um, I know Josh Kim mentioned our school starting tomorrow, and as a teacher in Charlotte, I just ask you, consider the young people, particularly our elementary and middle school students, and just pray God's protection and provision over them, um, particularly in our vulnerable communities here in Charlotte. Let's get into the word, into 1 Samuel. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him with his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning, beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men. And David said to the young men, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you and peace be to your house and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes. For we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David. And then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed from my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword and about 400 men went up after David while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us and we suffered no harm and we did not miss anything when we were in the field so long as we went to them. They were a wall to us both by night and by day All the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five sayas of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. 
God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail said, saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. In the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you. You have kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me truly by morning, there had been not been anything left to enable so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal, and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. She rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. Saul had given Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Paul T, the son of Laish, who was of Galim. This is the word of the Lord.
thank you, Rachel, um, for reading that long passage for us. And um, I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. Welcome to our worship service. And um, just so you know, we typically, um, when we do narratives like this, um, I think this is the second time or third time we've preached through 1 Samuel in my tenure here at Christ Central. And um, we are committed to reading much of the chapters, if not the full chapter, because this is not normal reading for us, right? We don't normally um, watch the Netflix series on 1 Samuel, right? We, we don't really know these stories. We don't know what's going on. There, there, there isn't a, a movie series about it, TV series about it. And so it's so important that we read these scriptures. Um, the Bible tells us that it's the scriptures, the reading and hearing of them that make us wise, to what God's done in our lives. It makes us wise to who we are and most importantly, to who he is. So we continue in our sermon series in the book of 1 Samuel. And we are in a transition period in Israel um, in this book, to say the least, especially chapter 25 in these middle chapters, um, to say, which is highlighted by the very first verse in this chapter. It tells us that the namesake of this book, the prophet Samuel, has died. Which now leaves the leadership of the country between the on-the-way-out King Saul, who we find in these chapters, uh, sorry, on-the-way-out on the King Saul, and between him and the promise by God next, soon to be king, David. And David, we find in these chapters on the run from Saul, who's been trying to kill him, living, David living in the wilderness with a full crew of about 600 ride or die, socially misfit, renegade allies and their families, is just trying to stay low and out of Saul's grasp. In this chapter, they are way south of the kingdom, David and his renegade crew. They're in the desert regions of Paran and end up settling near the town of Mayan. Now, back then, livestock was the main industry. And there was a rich livestocker, if you will, by the name of Nabal, who had his sheep grazing in the remote areas around Paran. Now, this meant that these sheep and even the people who worked for him were in danger of raiding parties, right? Or wild animal attacks and the like. The Bible tells us that David and his men do the opposite of what would have been expected by a renegade organization like his. David and his crew protect the sheep and the sheep herders instead of extorting and bullying them which meant Nabal got richer, right? And didn't have to write off the number of lost sheep and sheep herders like he probably did in past years due to theft and attack. And so it's dividend cash out time on the sheep. And David makes a humble request through some messengers asking Nabal, you know, can, can we get a corner of, of your surplus? Will you give me David? The, let, let me remind you, the one who's promised to be the next king of this country, a, a little from the bottom of the barrel. And David is humble about it too. He even calls himself Nabal's son 
or servant. Maybe Nabal on the ball, I'm going back and forth, is a little older, right? Definitely more powerful financially than David. And so David is like, you the big dog, right? Please, big boss, right? Please, big man, please, doc, please, you, you the don. And the ball is like, who? David? I ain't impressed. Who? who? David? That punk who's on the run from the king? Nah, he don't get none of this. You tell him that. Tell him I said it. Word gets back to David. Then the ball not only says no, but heck no. Right? And in verse 13, David says to his men, Every man strap up on his sword, and every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went after David. David, And later on the way to confront David, I mean, confront Nabal, David says this in verse 21. Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also. If by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to Nabal. In the words attributed to the great showman P.T. Barnum, Barnum and Bailey Circus, there is a fool or sucker born every minute. And the fool to be born, the one sucked in, was about to be David, right? One fool, Nabal, whose name actually means fool, was sucking and suckering David into his foolishness. But the Lord intervenes, as we will see. Two things I want us to see from this passage for our own lives, for our temptation to be sucked in, dragged in, pulled in, pulled down, pulled, pulled out, and, and fooled into acting on our own behalf, into participating in foolishness. First, we must recognize we all face foolishness. And secondly, that we are unfooled only by God's grace. We all face foolishness. And we are unfooled only by God's grace. Nabal was not just an ordinary dude, the Bible is telling us. That he is named fool, right? His name means this because he is institutionalized and metastasized human folly. He is rich in fool's gold. Getting rich and enjoying his wealth and power because he is a fool, right? And what is a fool as defined by the Bible? In the book of Isaiah, it says that a fool speaks folly. And his heart is busy with iniquity, which is sin. To practice ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord, right? Just talking about God in all the wrong ways. God told me this. God did this. God ain't doing this, right? And it says, to leave, a fool is one who leaves the craving of the hungry unsatisfied and who deprives the thirsty of drink. A fool's a mean person. <laughs> a fool is an unmerciful person. 
The Bible also tells us that a fool says in his heart, and thus how he lives like there is no God. A fool believes she or he is God over themselves and others and in this world and all they have and can act and do whatever, whenever they like, right? Setting up their own moral code and ethic and politic to benefit and center on themselves instead of on the Lord. Here are some words or titles that come to mind when we have experienced or acted like Nabals or fools. This is not about where you live, right? This is not a socioeconomic or tax bracket issue or any measurement of privilege. But here are some terms that that come to mind or titles, right? Self-made. Materialistic. Thug. Selfish. Lush. Strong-headed. Bully. Here's one. Pioneer, rock star, superstar, VP, CEO, the boss, president, the big dog, the queen bee, the king, princess, chief, dare I say it, reverend, right? In the Isaiah passage about fools, It tells us that in the world, fools are celebrities in our world. Or often the people we glorify the most are the people who get the most face time, are the people who get the most cred for things happening, are the people where things work for them. We are talking about people and their ideas and philosophies that have institutionalized and gotten powerful and rich and revel in being fools in their hearts. They're now teaching classes, right? They're the leaders. They're professors. They're the book writers. They're the personalities. They're the media moguls, right? And like naval, foolishness, human folly is often great, as Naval is called. Right? And great means this. The folly we deal with in our world is eminent, Right? It's going to happen. It's pervasive. It's powerful. It's ambitious. It's selfish. And it can be unjust and plain stupid and short-sighted, but it can also feel very brilliant and beneficial, which means there's no one who hasn't and doesn't face foolishness and face the temptation of being a fool themselves, right? Where we are either tempted to act like Nabal at the expense uh, and, and ignorance of others for our pride and lack of humility, Or, on the other hand, like David, be sucked in and picked on and disrespected to the point where we, as DMX said, makes us lose our mind, makes us lose our cool, and act the fool up in here, right? Foolishness, like the Bible describes, invites foolishness. It urges us to get into the same game and and try to fight fire with fire, foolishness with our foolishness. And to do so and be so is in every single one of us. It just takes the right kind of situation or person. Now remember in our scripture what happened in the last chapter. David had a chance to sneak attack, kill Saul. 
his enemy. And he didn't. And the Bible says he humbled himself, humbled himself and told his men, this is not the way things are done. And then fast forward and dude is like, I could do it for Saul, but not for this fool, right? I mean, maybe who, who, maybe who Nabal was or wasn't pushed David's button somewhere deep. Maybe David was sick and tired and fed up with running from fools. Maybe, I mean, just maybe David was starting to feel his celebrity. Right? He was starting to, 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 to feel the swag a little bit and, and his army was growing and he was getting mad respect and that Nabal's actions brought out that, that maybe David was feeling entitled to some R-E-S-P-E-C-T, right? That in the spirit of the Fugees, Nabal failed to recognize how many mics David ripped on a daily and everybody knew it was many, right? And Nabal was next. But it would have been sin to kill Nabal and take personal vengeance for his hurt feelings, for his feeling like he was done wrong. In fact, he even says it, right? Blood, guilt, right? And taking personal vengeance. It says that in the scripture. And as a leader, he was supposed to protect and care even for those and not get ticked off easily. That's not God's leader. At those opposed to him for what he considered foolishness, but not daily reasons. He would be stepping out of the character that God called him to present as a king, as a person, as a mediator, as a minister of God's grace to his people. Now, these types of things happen all the time as a pastor. Just going to make it personal. You care for people. You think you're doing good. You start to feel good about your ministry and yourself. And then something someone disagrees with and you think, how dare they? We're tempted to lose it. And I have. Not for God's glory, but for our own sense of respect. For you, maybe it's being a parent of an adult or becoming an adult teenager or a spouse or friend who has done so much for the other person and they act like a fool towards you or under your expect or act under your expectations of how you think they should you've done this you've done that for them you've listened you've sacrificed you've given and, and then and then they do something that that really gets you down deep something disrespectful right it, it, you know I, I have kids I got teenagers how does it feel when you're like hey Make sure, you know, we, we're going to roll out for a little bit. We'll be back. And you come back and not only aren't the dishes clean, right? There's 20 more dishes piled up. And, and, and some, they're on a video game or watching TV. And they're kind of, and the grass is getting high and the, the room upstairs is dirty. And no, you didn't ask them directly when to do it and how to do it. But you begin to feel, wait a minute. And I've had that talk. It's not my boys. It's me when I was their age. My mom would be like, well, you don't pay rent here. I slave. I work. I do all the stuff. I provide everything you ask for. I give you. And I come home and the kitchen's dirty. How dare you? Now, there's some justice in that. There's some truth to that. But it's so easy to go zero to 60. Where you lose your mind. And you act the fool with them, right? Not just because of what is in them, but because fool's gold is in our heart. And it is sometimes easier to cash in, it in uh, on worthless stuff more than seeking and waiting 
on a godly response. Face it. You and I can't help ourselves from going off and all out on some folks sometimes. Cussing and carrying on. If you cuss in your car after you with the person just as bad. Well, maybe not just as bad. One level below, right? Cussing out the person would be rated R, but you did the PG-13. I gotcha. Well, you get in your car, right? Or under your breath or in your heart. You know, and we do it. And some of y'all just say, I ain't, oh, we go the passive right route, right? I ain't messing with them, right? You stop calling them. You give them kind of like the response, yeah. You, you, you don't give them anything. You, you pull away. You, you passively backstab. When someone says something about the person, right, you like, um, so-and-so and so-and-so. And you don't say any gossip. You just do the face, mm. Right? You just, you just do the nonverbal backstab, right? And, 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 and it's your way of getting back, and, and you do that with enough people, and then it's sort of like a character assassination where you never actually drew a sword, right? You kind of get your army around you to defend you and take people. Everybody strap up against this person, and this is how I'm going to get y'all to kill them by just going, mm. I don't know about them, right? I call it the mission impossible gossip, right? It's just so secret, right? Everybody wearing the mask, right? You have the secret weapons to defend yourself, right? You, you, you strap it up right away, going to war to defend yourself. To, let me give you another word, to self-care, right? Like the, but like the Lord is not there or doing anything, so you got to do you. You got to survive. Online is awful, right? The media stuff is an open invitation to fools and foolishness. It's like the whole world of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and texts and emails, news outlets. It's like a giant fight club flexing their stuff and godless and evil and mean, knowing how to get to you unjust and with unjust and half-truths just to hook you and hear me pull you off track. David was on track to become a man and king after God's own heart. Enable an enable situation was like a tornado. It was a storm, y'all. He didn't see it coming. Right? He was doing the right thing with a vortex that, that hit David in the right place at the wrong time. And he was about to mess up his whole destiny if it, was, if it was up to him and gone after his own fire, right? Nabal would have gotten what he desired, deserved, surely, and David would have missed out on God's blessing the way God wanted to give it to him. But so often it gets to be too much humanly speaking. And we will trade God's call on our lives for fool's gold, right? To take someone down a notch. To, to get our respect and dignity back in ways that are foolish. That say God has not spoken and there is no God to defend us. Or he is too slow or God is too passive. And I don't want to hear about the Christianity and grace and mercy. And I have to take matters into my own hands. I have to let my passions lead me 
more than God's desires. I have to regulate instead of God's regulations in his word leading me because I am tired of being mistreated. I am fed up. I'm going to be keeping it real. But as Chris Rock says, keeping it real often means keeping it real dumb, right? Well, we get silly with people. God has better for you. And David found that out through an unlikely source. Nabal's wife. Look at verse 3 with me. It says this. Now the name of the man whose property he defended was Nabal, Nabal. And the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful. But the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. And they mentioned Calebite because Caleb was the faithful servant who went over when Joshua and looked at the promised land. And so Calebites were typically very faithful and, 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 and um, uh, people who were honest and, and, and cared about the throne and respectful to leadership. So this is almost saying the man was evil and bad. And he is a Calebite. Can you believe it? Almost like a contrast. Now, this is one of these situations. And y'all do it. Okay, y'all usually do it physically when you go to the mall or something like that. When you look at a couple, you'd be like, how that fool got a woman like her? And sometimes, if it ain't physically, sometimes you sit down with people and you talk and you like, Whoa, especially sometimes in our culture, like little Southern conservative culture, some around us, you know, in in the wife is stay at home mom and, you know, and the husband's out there in the world and you kind of meet him. He got some vice president job at the bank or something like that. And then you have dinner with them and you'd be like, what, what happened here? The successful guy's a fool. Especially when I sit down with his wife. And some of us do a little patronizing thing. I married up and, and she's my better half. And you don't really mean it? No, the Bible really means it here. It is saying, Nabal, the man in the relationship was a fool and his wife, the woman, was everything but. The leader in the world was the fool. She, he was the, she was the opposite of him. He was godless. She was godly and God-filled. It is incredibly fitting then that verse 1 says Samuel dies. The prophet who could speak to Saul and David sent by, because I was wondering why is this in this chapter, right, that Samuel died? Why didn't they put that in the last chapter? Because see, Saul was sent, I mean, Samuel died, was a prophet who could speak to kings. Speak to Saul. Speak to David. Sent by God to speak sense to them. To tell them what God was saying. To tell them their behavior was wrong. And so Saul, Samuel dies. And what's the Bible say? And then Abigail rises up. In that place, almost like in this chapter, as a prophetic interceder, in that role for David and her crazy husband, between two fools and, hear me, between those fools and God above. And thus an intercession for 
hear me, the whole nation and its future. She hears about David coming. The Bible tells us that she knows about her husband being a fool. Without telling her husband, she puts together a feast, an offering of all kinds of stuff, all kinds of food. She loads it up and sets up to meet David and his army with these gifts before they get there and stop this. She's trying to stop this from going down. Remember, this was a time, please hear me, when women were often treated like little more than property and as a means to an end for the kingdom or prosperity of men. She could have been a justified casualty of this conflict as another way to get back at Nabal. In other words, when she set out as a woman in a conflict between two men in this world, she knew this could have cost her her life. She had no natural reason to believe that David would actually heed to her because she was a woman, right? Or because she was Nabal's wife. Or because she brought all the food. Now, over the past year, you know, um, lots of video footage has been released showing police and their arrest of people. Most of the shared footage makes the officers look bad. And I know there's some good footage of lives being saved by officers that we would see, could see. And I want to acknowledge that before I say um, that the one hard-to-watch video involved a, a police body cameras catching officers car chasing a young man to his home for apparently running a stop sign. I don't know if y'all saw this one. He gets out of the car, and as soon as he does, he is yelling, what have I done? What have I done? Why are y'all stopping me? And he does it immediately in terms that the officer could interpret, he's not complying. He kneels on the ground, but he doesn't come. He doesn't turn around and come like, and the police officers pull their weapons, all four. And when they do, the women that are around the house, there are no men, come running in, pleading for this young man's life. With guns drawn, some of them having babies on their hips, just, just kind of running into the picture. And the, of course, the police are saying, everybody get back. And it is at that moment that a 90-year-old grandma with a cane, with a cane, comes out and stands over the young man on the ground standing between him and the police and their guns, and the police rush in and knock her with her cane on the ground, right? That's what Abigail was all about that day, y'all. She was getting in between. She, she was putting her fragility, right? As a woman in that culture, she could have been killed and nobody would have remembered her. You know, she might have not been written up in the Bible, right? She was getting in between what might have been foolish and foolish behavior, right? To save. I, I just want you to know the risk here. And David was hot, man. 
She hears him ranting as he's coming around the corner. The Bible says that she's headed one way. Maybe there's a corner in the trail. And she hears him say this in verse 21. Look, look at what it says here. So David is just, you know how you be mad, you be on the way. You know, I'll wait till I get there and blah, blah, blah. And blah. this is what David is doing in verse 21. You know, it, it says here, if I turn to the right chapter, in verse 21, it says, Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that, that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God, do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all, who belong to him. So, when she falls on the ground, and in verse 24 says this, she fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. I believe she was preparing, right? What did David say the guilty person was going to get? The sword. So she's saying, I'm the one. I'm all you're looking for. I'm your huckleberry, right? I'm the, I'm the person you need to, 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 to aim this at, right? I believe she was preparing to potentially give her life for her husband. To possibly be struck down for the life of her husband and the lives of, her men, of his men. And she says, please, hold on. Let me lay down. Let the guilt go on me. But please hear me. I read one commentary. Commentary made me mad at first because it talked about how uh, General Lee and his army were godly and the northern armies were bad and how General Lee acted in a Christian manner during the Confederate war because he didn't burn down the country, right? So that made me mad, but I moved on and the commentary said something really nice. It says she, Abigail, exercised reconciliation rightly. Humbling herself, right? Admitting wrongs without excuse. Affirming the dignity of the offended. You, David, are this and that and this. Then she pays reparation or restitution, appeasement, a penalty, a fine for the offense. And then ask for forgiveness and mercy to be an ongoing part of their continued healing and relationship. That's reconciliation. That's asking for, get it, let's, let's make it right. Look, in this world, in our lives, everywhere there is, there is everywhere, right? You can go. There is a space and place for intercession and intervention that the Lord is calling believers to be a part of, right? To not always be the ones overcome by being offended and being defensive and being maddened and engaged in modern day moral crusades, but actually participating in self-sacrificial, exhausting, costly, humbling, God-trusting work of reconciliation, relational, and social healing, right? Where you are not playing the role of soldier. 
in the story. But nurse and caregiver for the injured. On the good side and the bad side. God's mercy. She played God's mercy for her husband who's a fool. And for King David, who was a man after God's own heart. She care gave for both. We're not always called to be the soldiers with the swords in the story. As a pastor of a church like ours, diverse in almost every, in so many ways. I'm like, y'all, I want to join a side. I want to fight. I want my sword. I want to strap up. I want to be a soldier. It feels good to be a soldier. It feels good to be the one taking justice. Ah, it feels good. Don't it feel good when you get some justice? Don't it feel good when you can swing the sword or, 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 or take somebody out or, or be right and, and wear the belt and be the champion or wear the crown? It feels good. Look, I, am, I get tired of taking on the call to heal. I get tired of, of not having a moral stance on who got injured, just caring for the wound, right? I get tired, you know, to, to have to speak dignity. Sometimes I want to see the fight. Sometimes I want to egg it on. The Bible is not, hear me, not against forceful engagement, but foolish fighting. When being tired, sick and tired, entitled and mad about stuff, often your own stuff drives you beyond and below God's call to mediate his justice and mercy with grace. And sometimes you got to mediate for and between fools for the sake of their mercy. Those who deserve maybe to get their heads cut off, right? Who deserve humiliation and ruin, and then might set them straight. But see, here's the thing. Human, our human attempts, whether it's humiliation or trying to ruin somebody, or like I said last week, or drag them through the mud, there is no guarantee that that's going to change hearts. It is a guarantee there's going to be some bloodshed and some fighting. Here's the point, though. David was going to do it. You heard his speech? He's going to do it, y'all. He was already fooled. He was already hoodwinked. He was already being bamboozled, if you will, into a fight. And it would or could have tainted and marked his coming kingdom and his leadership with something that wasn't right. He was lathering up for a fight on the way there, speaking to himself in his heart and his mind and what shouldn't be leading him, mining and stoking the pain and dismay and in anger inside. And he had to be stopped, halted, hear me, by someone and something from outside of himself. Abigail Broughton was a gift of God's grace to unfool David, to mitigate, feed, and quench his anger and hunger and disrespect he was feeling, and his feeling sick and tired with, 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 with the, doing, feeding it with the grace of God for David, tailor-made, right, for, for the degree of anger and foolishness 
he was wrapped up in. She basically tells him, I'm not going to read it all. Rachel did that. Well, she tells him that this ain't for you. This ain't you. God's made you the next king. You will lead his kingdom. Right? You're an ambassador of God's grace. You're going to represent him to the world. And in this world, guess what, king, future king David? This is like a lesson to you. They're going to be fools upon fools upon fools you're going to have to deal with as king. So right now, before you king, you need to know God will lead his kingdom, right? God will fight your battles. This will harm you. My husband is a fool, but you don't have to be. And I love how she says it here, appealing to how the Lord helped him defeat Goliath. In verse 29, it says this, If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in a bundle of the living in the cave, excuse me, in the care of the Lord your God and the lives of your enemies. He shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. You know what she's doing? What's your testimony, David? Before Goliath, a sling. Remember how God did that? You know what the means of grace are? Maybe some of you do, maybe some of you don't. There are, for lack of a better term, and just in context here, the means of grace are the Abigail in the lives of believers. Right? They are earthly ways. God delivers his power, right, in convincing for sinners like us. It comes into our lives and into our hearts for our good and his glory. And it is powerful and effectual to change us. It comes along the pathways of our lives. It works as we walk. Not just behavior change or rules, but it joins and rejoins our hearts like, like she did to God's purpose, right? God's plan, God, God's love for us to turn us back, for us to have a piece of his supernatural ability and strength and love and testimony and peace to do his will on earth. You know, it's like a third rail. I'm telling you, in this world, it don't seem like there's only but two options. You got to be passive or you got to be abrasive. And in this passage, the means was Abigail. But we have an Abigail. Don't y'all know a third rail, a supernatural third rail of power, which is, here's the means of grace, the, the, the regular and normative means of grace at the Abigail of prayer. I don't like it all the time. I want to do it. You know, it's, it's funny. There's no means of grace of figuring it out in your mind and then doing, fixing it with your mouth. That's me. I like to talk through it. I can fix it. What do they say? You, you, you are a master in the living room. You, you can convince people that, that the ability to argue is not a means of grace. Right? It just isn't. More stuff. You know what they say? Yeah, people who have the gift of gab more often will reveal to the world that they are fools, right? Like you, you may not, people may not know you're a fool if you're quiet. But people like me, oh my gosh, I leave no doubt sometimes. Here's the means. Prayer. The reading, hearing, preaching, teaching, and studying of God's word, the Bible. Oh man, come on, the Bible again? Sunday school, yeah, 
right? The fellowship, the Bible says, of each other getting in each other's lives. Here we go again, Pastor Brown. This really can't be a means for beating our greatest foolishness and our greatest enemies. Yes, it is. What? Community groups? Yes. And friendships and former relationships. Let me tell you, and kids. Here we go. Parents. And spouses. Oh, no. Spouses. Teachers who are following the Lord and ministry leaders and through the Lord's Supper and baptism, y'all. And worship. Yes, it's virtual, but it's worship. And when we are engaged in mission and outreach, God, right? Abigail's, God sends Abigail's to us on our journey, in our life, causes, and they cause our foolish hearts to stop, to read, to hear, to ingest, to think, to remember, to pray, and trust the Lord again. But let me emphasize, it doesn't come naturally. It is a supernatural work and gifts of God's Holy Spirit. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. But the Holy Spirit is God, right? And the Holy Spirit personally uses these means, but also personally comes in and on us. And that's what gives us faith by grace to trust him and do what you wouldn't normally do. You know what the conversation back when David turns back and doesn't kill, they've all must be, I can't believe it. Right? But I, I can't believe I didn't kill that fool. You're probably sitting around, what, what are we doing back at home? How did that happen? I was sure. Heads were going to roll the day. What happened to me? You ever had these moments? What, what happened? I'm not nice, but I was nice. What happened? God, the Holy Spirit. And like David, we often find ourselves in our feelings, all up in our feelings, and fuming, and, and being a fool, and making things up, and I do it dreaming of revenge, and, and, and making things right, and, and looking like the hero. Man, I have all kind of daydreams about, hey, you know, I'm going to set this person right. Or, let me, oh, oh, Howard, this is the United States government writing you because of what you said. We're all going to change. Because you just write. Nothing about Jesus. You just write. Man, black man, you write. Wow. Right? This black man from South Carolina is the smartest person we never knew about. And, and, I, and, and that would be nice cred, but I just want it for me. Because I want them cut down, right? And we gather, let me tell you what we do. And we gather around us, people who will, like David's men, strap on weapons like and with us, who will join us and encourage and justify our rage and foolishness. You and y'all get mad, you get on the phone. Hey, you know, well, not phone anymore, you text. Well, yeah, yeah, and they text back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get your little group. You call that your community group or whatever, or your, or your, or, or your discipleship group, and you get together, and all you do is commiserate about anger. And then at the end, let's pray. Right? But like David, God's grace meets us, y'all, in unlikely ways. And at times when you and I are about to lose it and lose the faith and walk away 
or go off on someone or stop seeing what God requires in mercy and justice and humility and just get in mind. If you, ever look, if, if you look back, and I'm not going to do it, at, at, at Nabal's response, everything starts with I or my. Right? Just about getting my, my success, my way, my moral code executed, but as chief executors of our life. And, and God's grace, beautiful, wise, and humble, and still small voice, powerful grace by the Holy Spirit comes and says to us, hold on, son. Hold up, daughter. You don't have to act like this or do this for yourself. You have a daddy. You have a savior. You have an advocate in the Lord. Not only to take out your enemy, but as Abigail explains, to deal with your degree of hurt and anger. The Bible says grace worked, and this is what happened. Look at verse 32. It says that, uh, and David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. Remember, there's two sins here. Blood guilt, murdering the man, and secondly, doing it on your own behalf. Oh, I didn't know doing it your own way without God involved was a sin. Yep. It's called idolatry. That's ha that means having a God before you. Sometimes it means taking the Lord's name in vain. I know God told me this. God ain't told you that. Right? So, okay, moving on. For surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there would have been none left, right, to Nabal, so much as one male. Then David received her hand, which she had brought, and he said to her, go up to, in peace to your house, so I have obeyed your voice and have granted your petition. And Abigail goes home, the Bible tells. And he tells, tells you know, Nabal does the thing to David. He's like, hey, y'all, let's drink up. Yeah, they're sitting around with a bunch of 40s. They're drinking. They're doing their thing. They're eating. They're having a good time. And then the Bible says uh, Abigail waits till the next morning when the brother gets sobers up, gets over his hangover. She might have even brought him a cup of coffee. Nice black coffee, gets sober. I need to sell you something, honey. Sit down at the table. I talk to David. He was coming to kill you, and he saved your life. Now, why did he die? You know, something like this happened to me. I got in a fight once. Somebody egged me on to get in a fight. Somebody was smaller than me, and I thought, this is the way I'm going to get some cred. I'm going to beat. And the guy tried. Why do you want to fight me? Leave me alone. And I pushed, and I pushed, and I pushed, and he finally said, come on. Blankety, blank, blank. Okay, come on. And then he did like this, and I didn't know he was a trained boxer, like in a junior boxing. I was like a punching bag. And I was big. I was trying to grab him, but I couldn't get to the inside. He, he was just keeping me off. I got beat bad. Now, here's where the pain was. It wasn't the fa my face that was the pain. His mom came out. She looked at me and she said to her son, why you had to beat him up like this? You know what she did? She took me inside. And she washed my face, bandaged me up, and then she says, why you had to beat him up like this? You all right, son? I'm sorry my son beat you up. I wanted to die. And all my friends were there, too. I wanted to die. Nabal did. He froze up, and then God, the Bible makes it clear that God took him out. You know, I want you to see that Abigail was not only, and then David marries her. The Bible says that he eventually goes back. He, after Nabal dies, he's like, 
I've got, I'm going to marry this woman. I want you to see that Abigail was not only used to bring the gift of grace to stop David from acting sinfully. She was a gift of God's justice to bring Nabal down. And that David doesn't just take the lambs and the land and the food, but as verse 33 tells us, seeing her godly value and power as a person, a living, breathing gift of God's grace and wisdom, David marries her. We are saved from our impossible foolishness, not from the gifts of God's grace, by the gifts of God's grace, but a real living person of God's grace who like Abigail came into our lives and humbled themselves before our brokenness and pain, who like Abigail took on our guilt and interceded when went between us and our potential destruction, whether we were fooled or the fool, right? And he brought the gifts of God's power to us. And then like Nabal on the cross, he became a fool for us because of us and took the penalty and humiliation of our folly and died because of it. And that through his death, we would have him as our lifelong Abigail. Jesus became our Nabal on the cross so that we could have him in our lives as an Abigail. Like Abigail was for David and for Nabal, Jesus is, I'm going to flip this, he is fool's gold. He makes fools like you and me and those who would be fools like you and me in a world of fools, rich with his worth, rich with his value, rich with hope and peace and possibility when all else fails, not only around us, but in us to do right. He is our gold, right? He's our restoration. He's our reparation. As David says about Abigail in verse 33, we can say about our Lord, blessed be Jesus, whom God sent to meet us, to bless us with wisdom, to keep us from blood guilt. And from trying to save ourselves by our own hand, he has stopped us from hurting others and ourselves. Jesus is our beautiful Savior who came out to help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Because we can't control ourselves all the time. And we definitely can't control our world around us. We cannot control the foolishness. We can't control all the crazy stuff people are doing and saying in the ways they want to disrespect us or mistreat us. So, Lord, you take control. Come, Holy Spirit of God. Using the means of grace. That, that was my computer, sorry. Use the means of grace to speak to us. Sometimes and in, in unexpected, sometimes just that quiet, small, uh, that, that, that still voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us in prayer and fellowship, and the Lord's Supper in the Word of God. Those simple things that we least expect would come and, Lord, what we saw change a whole generation. Lord, when I look at our world, it's terrible, God. 
we are a generation of haters. We just a bunch of fools fighting and mixing it in and taking things personally in ways that we could make it about your kingdom. And we risk other people's sense of worth and we squander being a part of your kingdom. And now, Lord, a generation, a whole generation of people that many of us are called to lead are rising up as a, in a bad way, a canceled generation. Well, we just want to hate and hurt anything and cancel everything. Not because of your God, God goodness, Lord, and your holiness, because of our personal gain in morals. Reset us, Lord. Help us see what, what Christ did for us. Help us to see that we were lost, we were fools, and you intervened and interceded for us. Change our hearts through that message. I pray for those who don't know you. They live in fool, foolishly and they've been fooled into thinking that their success means they're, not, they're right before God, that their success means they're not foolish, Lord. But if they're taking matters into their own hands, right now, Lord, save them. Take them into your hands as they try so desperately and foolishly to take the matters in their lives into their hands. Come, Lord Jesus. Save us. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.